So, um, it's, the, uh, it's the first Sunday in Christmas, uh, first Sunday in December, of course, isn't it? Which means that, as, as somebody uh, once sang, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Um, wonder what that Christmas is going to look like for you. I, I guess some of us are going to be getting the decorations down from the attic, if we haven't done that already, so in order to kind of deck the halls with boughs of holly, that kind of thing. Um, others of us might be heading uh, to the mainland, might we, for Christmas. We might be uh, heading off to see our parents, perhaps. On the mainland, we'll be driving home for Christmas. Um, we might be expecting a, a, a busy house full of excited children because Santa Claus is coming to town. You can, see, can you see what I'm doing here? I hope you appreciate the work that's gone into this. Right? We, 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 we might be looking forward to an office Christmas party or something like that. We'll be rocking around the Christmas tree. Okay? But then again, we might just be looking forward to a quiet walk in the, in the country with a, with a loved one. You know, but remember, baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> but whatever kind of Christmas uh, you're going to be having, whether you're going to be dreaming of a white Christmas, you might be doing that. Uh, whether you wish it could be Christmas every day, you might be doing that. Or whether you're simply having a wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> the chances are there's a Christmas song, isn't there, to accompany just about whatever kind of Christmas you'll be having. And believe me, we are going to be hearing them, aren't we, if we're not hearing them already? Because they, they make up the Christmas playlists, don't they? In just about every retail outlet, every cafe, every pub, every public building. Um, and of course, they will be heard through many AirPods and car stereos and all that kind of thing over the coming weeks as well. I don't reckon there'll be very many carols among those, do you? Um, I don't think they'll make it onto the Many of the playlists, of course, uh, I think we'll be singing a lot more about uh, Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Who Saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus. Then we're going to be singing about the announcement that today in the town of David a saviour has been born who is Christ the Lord. At least here we'll try and compensate for that a bit. We'll be singing plenty of those kind of songs but it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas isn't it and and since it is I'd love us to focus our attention as Ollie mentioned earlier uh, over these next few weeks not on the Christmas playlists that we're going to hear all around us this Christmas but on what we might call the first ever Christmas playlist Um, because in in these first couple of chapters of of Luke's gospel his account of the first ever Christmas uh, we find a playlist if you like, a playlist of, of, of three Christmas songs. And, and these, I guess, are, this is the original Christmas playlist, if you like. It, it's the song of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that we'll look at this morning. The song of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, that we'll see next time. Uh, and then the song of Simeon, Simeon the godly Jew. And, and, you know, unlike many of the songs on today's Christmas playlists, these songs are worth studying the lyrics of um, because they're the songs for a saviour so that's what we're going to do in the in the kind of build up uh, to Christmas we're going to be looking not only at the three songs themselves but actually at the events that surround uh, that are taking place around those songs and and here's the first one on the playlist this morning that we'll look at which is the song that Mary sings here in the middle of chapter one but before we get to the passage let me just try and set the scene for you a little bit because I wonder, uh, maybe especially if you're younger, if you're a younger person, I wonder whether you've ever sketched out in your mind a plan for what you think your life is going to look like. Have you ever done that? 
Um, Or maybe if you're an older person, do you ever remember doing that when you were younger? And if so, whether you've thought more recently about whether your life turned out the way you thought it would, (laughs) ever done that activity? Because we often do, don't we? We make plans for our lives, even if they're only basic ones, even, even if we never write them down. We make the plans, doesn't it? How, how many young women, for example, have dreamed about finding a loving husband and raising a family? How many career-driven people have started a job planning their kind of promotional path to the top of their profession? Uh, or, or maybe, you know, sporting achievement or something like that. How many have trained hard in you know, planning to win? And these are not usually written plans, are they? But they're they're mental plans, aren't they? We make them in our heads, you know, about the career we want or maybe the fame we'd like to achieve or or even the kind of house we'd like to buy or the kind of garden we'd like or or the dream holiday that we'd like to go on one day or the plans we have for our children or or whatever it might be. Some some of those plans, of course, could be grand plans. Um, But I guess most of us, you know, we're average kind of people, aren't we? We'll have had average kind of plans, even fairly modest plans for our lives wonder if you've got one have you got one maybe it's a career plan if you're younger maybe it's a retirement plan if you're older and how driven are you by your plan what would your reaction be if events were to take place in your life tomorrow that would totally change the plans the expectations that you have for the remainder of your life And how would you respond to God if your plans were turned upside down like that? Uh, Well, here in this passage, I think there are two women whose lives have been turned upside down. There's there's Elizabeth, an an older woman, who once in in her youth uh, would have been desperate to have a a child, but who now, in, in her older age, she must have just simply given up hope of that ever happening. And And then there's Mary, a young girl, who is keeping herself for her her husband, keeping her her reputation intact, but who's told that she's going to become pregnant, only not by her husband, but rather supernaturally, through the Holy Spirit. So two women's lives turned upside down, two life plans put into total upheaval. So what's their reaction going to be? How will they respond to God? And and as we see their response to God in in, in this passage, we might ask ourselves the question, well, what about my response to him as he changes my life plans? What will my testimony be to him as he turns my plans on their head? Well, do you know, when, when we start thinking about their reaction to God in these verses, I reckon the striking thing that we see here is their joy, isn't it? Did you notice that as we read through the passage? Their their response is joy in the Lord. Here are two women whose plans have been turned upside down by God and it leads them to rejoice in him. And in fact, a bonus this morning, we can see a little additional rejoicing, I think, in this passage because I think you can spot it. You can spot rejoicing not only in Elizabeth and not only in Mary, But also, I think, in Elizabeth's unborn baby as well, who is, of course, John the Baptist. So look out for that. But let's let's look at this passage and, and see if we can discover how they can rejoice in the Lord even as their plans are turned upside down. Um, Have a look, uh, first of all, at verses 39 to 45. This is Elizabeth's joy. Let's see 
Elizabeth's joy. But notice, first of all, that Elizabeth's joy follows on from Mary's obedience. Did you spot that? Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Okay, so, so earlier in the chapter, um, uh, you can see it in verse 30 to 33, uh, you're, but you'll remember the story. An, an angel has visited Mary and, and he's given her the astounding news that she has found favour with God and is to become pregnant and bear a son whom she will call Jesus, which means God saves. And this Jesus, the, the angel says, is to be the son of the Most High. And and the one to whom God will give the throne of an everlasting kingdom. And we're told that Mary believed the angel. But also, unsurprisingly, she she asked for a bit of clarification. Uh, In verse 34, uh, she asked, how will this be since I am a virgin? To which the angel's response was, in verse 35, look, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. In other words, God will do it. And to give her further assurance of that, he tells her that Elizabeth, who is, who is uh, older, uh, past the age of childbearing, is in fact also pregnant. And so Mary, verse 39, acting in obedience, goes to see the sign that God has given her. This is the first century, of course, so you can't kind of FaceTime Elizabeth to check out the bump or anything like that. So she has to make a three-day journey ran about 100 miles to get from Nazareth, where she lives, to the the hill towns around uh, Jerusalem, where Elizabeth lives with her her husband, Zechariah. But notice, Mary doesn't wait to do that. She heads off straight away. You know, we might have been tempted to write off a dream like that, as some, you know, too much cheese the night before or something. Just ignore it. But Mary went with haste, right? She lost no time in going to see the sign that God had given her so that she could gain the confidence that would come from that. So there's Mary's obedience, and that leads to Elizabeth's joy. And what I'd love us to see in in, uh, uh, verse 41 here, notice the kind of joy that it is. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think that's really significant because it tells us that her response of joy and and what she then had to say to, to Mary, it doesn't simply come from her enthusiasm. It comes from God's prompting. Do you see? It's it's the Holy Spirit who was prompted this outburst of joy. In other words, it reflects not simply what's in Elizabeth's heart, but what's in God's heart. So filled with the Holy Spirit and with a loud cry, Elizabeth says, verse 42, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. In other words, the the child that you're going to bear. And and to be blessed, uh, of course, is is to receive uh, special grace or special favour from God. We, we often use the word to one another, don't we? Like a, like a prayer for each other. May the Lord bless you and keep you and, and, and so on, meaning it's our prayer that God will bless. But notice here, Elizabeth is speaking of Mary being blessed already. In other words, she's blessed because of the baby that she's carrying. What an honour. 
What, what, a, what a privilege, what a grace has been given to her to be chosen by God to carry the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the, the saviour of God's people. Blessed are you. And blessed is the child that you will bear. That's a lovely picture, isn't it? Of just um, unashamed rejoicing in the Lord. Elizabeth, she's just thrilled to bits. Thrilled to bits that Mary has been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. There's not a hint of jealousy here, is there? Or, Or envy. She just wants to express how blessed Mary is because of this child that she's carrying. In fact, look at verse 43. Um, because far from showing uh, jealousy, Elizabeth's just overjoyed simply at being able to play any part at all in, in these events. And why is this granted to me? She says, that, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. You see, she's just so glad that she's involved at all. And did you spot the other amazing thing in that verse? That Elizabeth knows who Jesus is. Did you spot that? My Lord, she calls him. And I don't think Mary's even had a chance to tell her that she's pregnant yet. Let alone who the child is. But Elizabeth seems to know, doesn't she? You know, the verse, I think, certainly infers that God has told her these things, perhaps as, as, she, as she is filled with his spirit. And she's just so thrilled that she, she should even be visited by Mary. Why is this granted to me? That the mother of my Lord should, should come to me. You, you see the, the sense of privilege that she feels. She knows what God is doing. She realized this, the significance of these kind of world-transforming events. She knows herself to be unworthy. So she's not thinking highly of herself, is she? She just knows herself to be like the, the, the humble beneficiary of God's grace. God has blessed her and she, she just feels so honoured. I think that's the point that Luke wants to make here as he, he writes this. So look at Elizabeth's humility. No self-importance, not thinking more highly of herself than she ought, just, just marvelling at God's blessing. And friends, we ought to recognise that too, didn't we, as Christians? That God owes us nothing. Indeed, we owe him everything. As sinners, we've got no no rights to demand of God. You know, we've got no claim on his blessings. So, So if we want to truly rejoice in the Lord, like Elizabeth's doing here, even when our plans are turned upside down. I think this passage starts to show us how that works, doesn't it? And the starting point is humility. Right? It's to acknowledge our very humble position before him. And, and then, with that humility as our starting point, look at the blessings he's given us. Now, of course, for us, what that's going to mean is, is looking in his word, isn't it? At, at the blessings he he promises us there, you know, blessings of salvation, supremely, blessings of protection, blessings of a, a glorious future inheritance to come. No, noticing in God's word that God always does what he promises. And then just kind of looking back on our lives and calling to mind his, 
his faithfulness to us and letting it, letting it thrill us and warm our hearts again. And friends, the lead up to Christmas is just, it's a great time to do that, isn't it? To just read his word and be reminded that God, in, in, in his infinite greatness, has come down to our sinful, lowly level and just poured out his grace in our lives. And he promises in his word much more of the same to come. And not only that, but as we await our inheritance to come, he has deigned even to use us, you and me, to bring about those great and perfect plans. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that thrilling? Elizabeth says, look, verse, uh, verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In other words, you're also blessed, Mary, because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Do you see, friends, that the secret to the kind of joyful praise that we see here, even when lives are turned upside down, it's firstly a knowledge of our own unworthiness, which leads us to humility before God, and then it's a full appreciation of the blessings of what God promises in his word and, and, and is fulfilled in Christ. And that confidence that what God says he will do, he will do. He has done in the Lord Jesus. That's what we see here, isn't it? And, and friends, that needs to be, I think, our perspective too. If we're going to respond to God turning our plans upside down with joyful praise. So there's, there's uh, Elizabeth's praise. But just before we get on to, to think about Mar- uh, Elizabeth's joy, but just before we get to think about Mary's joy, have a quick look at verse 41 and, and, and 44. Uh, I reckon we see the unborn John the Baptist's joy here as well. Tell, tell me what you think. Verse, uh, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, she says to, to Mary, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. You get that? That's quite a statement, isn't it? When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, Elizabeth said, the baby in my womb leapt for joy joy and we might think well you know babies in the womb they get a bit fidgety a bit kicky don't they maybe elizabeth's just kind of waxing lyrical here we, we don't want to read more into the text than is is actually there but i think if you look closely it's, it's evident isn't it that 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 as mary carrying the unborn jesus greets elizabeth carrying the unborn john the baptist the little john there gives elizabeth a kick in the chest from the inside and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, remember, clearly sees that, verse 44, as a leap of joy on the part of John. Right? As, as both the unborn messenger and the unborn Messiah are kind of brought together for the first time. And, and just flick back to verse 15 for a second, look. 
This is where the angel appears to Zechariah, uh, Elizabeth's husband, to, to tell him of the son that will be born to him. And notice what the angel said uh, about John, verse 15. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink uh, wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. In other words, such will be the call of God on, on John's life. And, and the special role for which he will be set apart, that the Holy Spirit will be upon him even from the womb. So I, I don't think it's too fanciful, is it? To imagine that the unborn John here, through the inward witness of the Holy Spirit, is able to recognize the presence of his Messiah. And so give a little leap of joy. What do you reckon? That's not too fanciful, is it? Well, in any case, look, it's, it's clearly significant for Elizabeth, who, who links together the, the arrival of Mary, the, the significance of her news, and the leap of joy within her womb. And, and it's enough to give full confidence to Mary, isn't it, in the words that the angel had said to her. The sign that she came to see has given her that, that further assurance. And so she, she breaks into a song of praise. And, and have a look at that. We've seen Elizabeth's joy, even, I think, little John's joy. Notice now Mary's joy in, in 46 to 56. And, and this, is, this is where we get the song itself, isn't it? It's what the church has, has come to call the Magnificat, uh, which comes from the Latin for, for verse 46, which says, My soul magnifies the Lord. So Mary's met with Elizabeth. She's been made aware of the significance of the events that are to come. She knows her own lowly state. And yet she also knows the unbelievable grace that's been poured out on both of them. And as she realizes those things, the desire of her heart is just to break into praise and magnify the Lord. And friends, we know what that word means, don't we? Magnify, because many of us have got a magnifying glass at home somewhere, haven't we? What does it do? It makes things bigger. Doesn't it? And that's what Mary wants to do here in this song. She wants to, as it were, make God bigger. Notice she doesn't want to make herself bigger. Oh, look what's happened to me. Aren't I someone important? Mother of the Messiah, don't you know? Right? No, the person she wants to magnify is her great God. And, and you can just notice, can't you, how many times Mary sings, He has... Or he who is mighty has. Right? Over and over she sings of what he has done. She's, she's just caught up in magnifying her great God. And, and, and what has he done? What's she praising him for? Well, the song, I think, is basically in two halves. Um, the first half, verses 46 to 49, is where she sings of what God has done for her personally. So, so have a look at verse uh, uh, 46, 47. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. So she rejoices that God is her saviour, right? Which, which incidentally, um, it rather does away with the Catholic idea that Mary was sinless from the time that she was conceived, doesn't it? Some of you have come to Christ from a Catholic background, okay, you'll recognise that teaching. But you see, this passage does away with that idea, doesn't it? Because sinless people don't need saviours. 
right? Mary knows that she does need a saviour, right? She's like us. She's a sinner in need of salvation or or in need of rescue. And she's got great joy in her heart because she knows that she has a saviour. Right? God is her saviour. Uh, she also rejoices, look, verse 48, that despite her humble state, so she's just a, you know, a, a rural kind of working class lass, of you, uh, uh, as it were, no, no social standing, no, no particular significance. And yet, as God's servant, uh, verse 48, he has looked on her. He's been mindful of her. And, and that word servant there, that's another humble term, isn't it? The word uh, literally means a, a handmaiden if you like, a a female slave. In other words, she's a humble, nobody, slave of the Lord, but he's chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah. Wow! So she's she's singing here, what what honour has been given to me? How many others could God have chosen instead, but he's given the job to me? Right, what grace, what what favour. He's looked upon me, he's been mindful of me. Do you see, that's her song. And, and not only has he looked on her, but he's also done great things for her. You see that? End of verse 48. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And, and notice, again, she doesn't say, you know, all generations will call me blessed because I'm the mother of Jesus. Right? It's not about her. It's not about who she is or, wh- or what she's done. But the, the whole emphasis here is that generations will call her blessed, verse 49, because the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. Right? In other words, she will be blessed because of what God has done. People for generations will look on her and her lowly status and her servant nature and her her simple faithfulness and trust in God and say, wow, didn't God just pour out his grace on that woman? Right, All glory to him. Do you you see? It's a reminder of, of God's grace, isn't it? Poured out on undeserving Mary. And she just wants all the glory to go to God. And you know, I, I think she'd be horrified to think of how parts of the church have ended up making her an object of worship. That is idolatry, isn't it? The very woman who in these verses wants no glory for herself, but all the glory to go to her mighty God because he has done great things for her and so holy is his name. Do you see? It's the last thing she'd want. Because she knows her lowly state, she knows her need of a saviour, she knows the undeserved grace of God in her life, and so she wants him to have all the glory. And she's right, isn't she? So do you see the theme running through the the, the first half of that song? It's it's complete joy, uh, thankfulness to God, that, that he, in all his glory, has looked upon her, a lowly, humble slave of the Lord, and just poured out his grace on her. He owes her nothing. She owes him everything. But the God who is rich in grace has poured it out on her.
But then notice, second half of the song, that it becomes personal, not just for her, but for us. Because she, she goes on to show that God treats others in the same way as he's treated her. Right? Not in the specific sense, of course. We're not all mothers of Jesus, are we? <laughs> but in the, in the general sense. In other words, the same outpouring of God's love and grace that Mary has received, God pours out on all who honour him. Have a look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Did you get that? God's mercy extends to all who fear him or who reverence him. That means all, or who, who honour him. And friends, that's because of God's nature, what he's like. In, in other words, God doesn't side with the great and the good, right? With the powerful and the rich. He delights to exalt the humble, right? The lowly, the downtrodden, the poor. Just because his name is great, just because he is the mighty one, doesn't mean he favours those who, who in the world are considered great and mighty and powerful and so on. In fact, the very opposite is true. Look at verse 51. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. So friends, if, if we are people here this morning whose lives demonstrate the pride that feels no need for God, watch out. He scatters the proud. Right? Or verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So God is not on the side of the powerful. Right? If you're depending on greatness in this world or in the eyes of the world to save you and give you some kind of leverage with God, watch out. Or, or, or verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. In other words, God is not on the side of the rich, right? Money might impress the world. It might buy you stuff in the world, but it does nothing to impress God. It gets you nowhere with him. Indeed, all of those things, pride, power, wealth, that they're more often than not, aren't they, idols that we worship instead of God, right? In other words, those things are substitutes for God. They're not things to bring us to God. But God's greatness... Verse 52, exalts those of humble estate. God's greatness, verse 53, lifts the hungry with good things, fills the hungry with good things. And friends, there's a warning here, isn't there? Even in the midst of praise, there's a warning that we would do well to heed. And the warning is, don't rely on pride or power or wealth, whatever it is, to save you. Don't imagine that any greatness... You, you think you have or you think you can accumulate in this world will count for one jot with God. It won't. Because he has mercy on those who honour him. Right? He exalts those who humble themselves. He, he sides not with those who seek to accumulate for themselves, but rather those who would deny themselves. And, and he remembers his promises which is what verses 54 and 55 are about. Because Mary's remembering her history here, isn't she? She's remembering God's promises to Abraham and his descendants, uh, promises to rescue for him a people, uh, a people who will bear his name. And it's through her son, 
right, who's growing even now in her womb, that God will bring good news to the humble and the lowly, to to those who fear him. And he will do it as that son is born into the world that he might bring salvation to the world through the cross on which he will die in order to achieve that rescue for us, dying in our place, dying with our sin on his shoulders. Friends, that's what he promised to do. And Mary is rejoicing here because God has kept his word. He's remembered his promise. And in that tiny baby in her womb, the saviour of the world has come. Friends, as we reflect on the content of this song, you know, number one on the playlist, can you echo Mary's joy this morning? As, As we reflect on all that God has done for you, you know, his grace and his mercy poured out on you. Does it lead your soul to magnify the Lord? As, as you ponder on, on the mighty acts of God in saving you, does it, does it thrill your heart? Because, friends, we've got so much to praise him for, haven't we? And really, the message of this song, friends, is that when we reflect on what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus, the proper response is not only obedience, but it's joyful worship. Right? It's the praise and the thanks of our lips and our lives. So this Christmas, let's be joyful as we reflect on the mercy and the grace of God. Because God is magnified when we rejoice in him. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we, uh, we thank you for the, um, the example of these two women. Two women whose lives and life plans were turned upside down by you and yet could respond to you with joyful praise because they knew their own unworthiness. And yet they also knew the promises of your word and that they'd been counted blessed to play a part in your salvation plans. Father, please would you lead each of us this morning to have the the same assurance they had so that we too may respond to our life plans being turned on their heads with the the same joyful praise that we too have been counted worthy to be included as your people in your salvation plans. And and Father, I pray that if, um, should we be here this morning and not have come to that point yet of trust in you, the God who saves, would you help us to heed the warning of this passage, that you are not on the side of the proud and, and those who think they've got some greatness of their own and so don't need your rescue, but that you're on the side of the lowly, of those who humble themselves because they know they are undeserving sinners who need and have in Jesus a wonderful saviour. Father, may each of us be such people this morning, we pray, that we may be led to joy and praise and delight in the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.
Well, we're going to sing in a few minutes, not quite yet, but we're going to uh, sing the, the words of, of Mary's song together uh, a little bit. But first, I'd love us to gather around the Lord's table where we can rejoice in God's salvation plans, because that's what this meal is really, isn't it? You know, it's a remembering and a rejoicing in, in what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus. You know, we often say, don't we, that this meal looks forward to a, you know, a heavenly uh, a feast to come. Uh, we say that it looks around, you know, uh, to the, the community of believers that we've been saved into. But, you know, it's especially a meal, isn't it, that looks back and looks up. It, it's a meal that remembers that we've been rescued and that we have in Jesus a rescuer, one whose one who's body and blood was given up and poured out, even for you and me. So friends, this is a meal where we remember that God is our saviour and has looked upon the humble estate of his servants and blessed us and done great things for us, even the greatest thing for us in the Lord Jesus. So holy is his name. Shall we pray as we take the bread and the wine? Uh, Father, with, uh, with humble acknowledgement of our sin and, and our unworthiness, we rejoice this morning that you have done great things for us in Jesus. And, and supremely, that you've rescued us and redeemed us in him as an, as an act of nothing but your mercy and your grace. Uh, and so, Father, as we, as we take this bread and wine... Uh, we pray that it would lead us to remember and rejoice in God, our Saviour, who in Jesus has bought our rescue for us with his blood. And we pray that by your Spirit, this meal would strengthen our trust in him, strengthen our appreciation of him, strengthen our love for him, our commitment to him. And Father, even enable us to leave here this morning magnifying the Lord with our lips and our lives. All of this we pray in Jesus' name.